0: I'd like for you to go to Luke chapter 2 and notice with me several things about the unspeakable gift and its majesty. First of all, uh, the announcement of the angel in Luke chapter 2. The announcement was a compelling announcement. Look at verse number 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And so, we see, first of all, in this, com- this compelling announcement that it was made to common men. I don't know exactly who did the survey, but I read this uh, survey where uh, they surveyed uh, people, and nearly a third of those that were questioned stated that of all the characters mentioned in the Christmas story, they identified most with the shepherds. The uh, shepherds uh, in that day would have been your average, ordinary, um, everyday working people. And of all people, think about it, of all the people, they were the ones that were invited uh, to come see the birth of the King of Kings. And so it was a compelling announcement made to common men uh, that commanded their attention. Uh, We see in verse number 9 that the shepherds were sore afraid. They were afraid because it commanded their attention. It was something that would have been quite uh, startling, I would think. I look for a picture to kind of depict this event that took place, and I put it on the front of the bulletin. You can look at that later. Don't look at it now, right? And uh, just this idea of what it must have been like, you know. Here they are doing their job, and all of a sudden, all this wonderful thing takes place on that starry night in Bethlehem on the hillsides that surrounded uh, surrounded the, the city there. But they, uh, they were sore afraid, the Bible tells us, yet we find that this announcement was not only... Uh, Uh, compelling, but it was comforting. Look at verse number 10. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. So it was was not just a compelling announcement that got their attention. It was a comforting thing. Right away, God wanted them to know that you don't have to be afraid. I'm about to tell you some really good news. And uh, and uh, that was a comforting thing to them. Right off the bat. It's a comprehensive announcement. Look at verses 11 and 12. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. We'll get to that in just a second. But it was a comprehensive announcement. The place was fulfilled. He said it's going to be in the city of David in verse number 11. Uh, It was uh, to fill the prophecy of the prophet Micah who spoke of Bethlehem being the birthplace of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, the, so the place was fulfilled. The purpose was fulfilled. And verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David, here it is, underline this word, a Savior. That's the purpose being fulfilled. A Savior is a promise of a, a Savior that would be fulfilled when, back, from way back when God told Abraham in Genesis 12.3, In thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. You know, if, if man's greatest need had been information, God would have sent a teacher, um, an educator. If uh, man's greatest need had been uh, technology, he would have sent a scientist. If man's greatest need would have been money, he would have sent, a, uh, sent an economist. If man's greatest need was uh, pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. Uh, but because man's greatest need was forgiveness, he sent a Savior. Amen? And uh, so uh, we see the promise of a Savior fulfilled, a Savior promised was for Israel as well as for the rest of the world. For God sent not forth his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so the place was fulfilled. The purpose was fulfilled. And notice with me also, the person was fulfilled. They called him, verse number 11, Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. Yeah, Speaking of the Messiah, the anointed one that was coming from the Lord was, was Jehovah, God in the flesh. God became a man without ever ceasing to be God. And in that man's body lived a sinless life, went to the cross, shed his blood, died, was buried, rose again the third day, and lives forevermore uh, and intercedes on our behalf uh, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God at this very moment, thinking and and speaking of of us uh, and and, and desiring for us to have a relationship with God through him uh, so that we might know God. I'd like you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Isaiah and look at this passage of scripture with me. Isaiah chapter 9, I'd like you to see Christ described here, God in the flesh. I'd like you to take note of these things in Isaiah chapter 9, and verses 6 and 7. It'd be a familiar passage, but I want you to see it. In the Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Well, what does that mean? You ever read something and just kind of glaze over it? The government shall be upon his shoulder. You know what that speaks of? That speaks of this baby's lordship. That speaks of his lordship, the fact that he is—he is. We don't make him king of kings; he is king of kings. Speaks of his lordship, and his name shall be called here. It is wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And then it goes on to say, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Again, speaking of the, his lordship, not just for time, but for eternity, upon the throne of David. And upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from hence even forever. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 9, the word of God speaks of Christ in this sense that he says, For in him Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The Lord Jesus Christ, this baby that was born in the manger, this majestic unspeakable gift of God is co-eternal with God. Uh, co-equal with God in power and authority, and he's co-existent with God. Can Can I say this one more time? Will you indulge me to say that it is impossible to have a relationship with God outside of believing that Jesus is God in the flesh? Again, those names in Isaiah chapter 9, how can you deny it? He is called Wonderful Counselor. He is called the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In the book of Hebrews, uh, the Bible says, Unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Even God himself called the Son God. He is all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is as much God as God the Father. He is as much God as God the, God the Spirit. And in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so we see the person was fulfilled in this one that we call the Lord Jesus Christ. And and the unspeakable gift is a majestic gift. We see the angelic announcement and how uh, that we put that together. Then, Then secondly, notice with me the adoration of the heavenly host. Back to Luke chapter two. First of all, we get a description of this heavenly host and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, so here's the description. Well, who was it? It was a multitude. Well, what were they? They were a heavenly host. Uh, What were they doing? They were praising God. So the description is given. The scene is set. And then we see the declaration of the host in verse number 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. The heavenly host that accompanied the angel spoke words of praise and glory to God. And I, I can just imagine what that must have been like, how, how that their, their night was interrupted, how their attention was arrested, and how uh, this sight, the sight and the sound of that composition of the heavenly host praising God reminds me of what Hebrews 1.6 says, and again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And they did, and they do. And they will forever and forever and forever. And so we see the adoration of this heavenly host and we think to ourselves, wow, what a majestic gift that we have in the unspeakable gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see it's angelic announcement. We see the adoration of the heavenly host, but we also see the action of the shepherds. Luke chapter 2 again, verses 15 and 16. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. They sought Christ. They, they couldn't help it. It was something that was more reflexive than, than standing on the course of Handel's Messiah. They witnessed the angelic announcement. They, they saw the adoration of the heavenly host and it stirred in them something to action, something they compelled them, a response of their mind, their emotion, and their will that they, they had to go see it. They had to see what it was that God had spoken of to them through His messenger. In verse number 10, the angel told the shepherds that he was bringing good tidings of great joy, which was to be to all people. The announcement was the good news uh, uh, that, uh, that Jesus came, that he is a, a light to all who seek him. In Isaiah 49:6, Jesus is called a light to the Gentiles. John the Baptist was sent to proclaim the message of light uh, coming into the, this darkened world. Look at John chapter 1, if you will, please, in verses, uh, uh, several verses there. John chapter 1, and the message of John the Baptist, John chapter 1, speaking of, uh, of John the Baptist and then of Christ, it says, the same came for a witness, verse number 7. Man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He, John the Baptist, was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. The Gospel of John declares that that he, God, is light. He, light, came into the world. But not everybody receives that light. Look at verse number 10. Starting verse number 10. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. Do you know that? That's one of the proofs that we see that Jesus is co-eternal and co-existent and, and co-equal with God. He is there at creation. For by Him were all things created, Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. We see this here in John, that there He is at Creation in verse number 10 the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Who the light he came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And here we see that uh, Jesus. Uh, is, is the light, he's the true light, and uh, yet not everybody receives that light. When the shepherds came, they, they came seeking the person of Christ, but they also desired something else. They didn't just desire to make Christ their Savior, but they also sought to worship Christ as their Lord, that, that he would have preeminence in their lives. And notice the, the praise that we find in the shepherds' testimony. The shepherds had a testimony uh, to pass. Look at uh, verse number 17 of Luke chapter 2. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And so the shepherds had a testimony to pass. They they also had a testimony of praise. Look at verse number 20. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. The shepherds, they went back to tend their sheep, right? They, They went back to their routine, but they went back changed. They went back changed forever. They glorified God and they couldn't stop telling others about it. And folks, when a person meets the Savior, it changes them forever. They, they had a testimony to pass and it was a testimony of praise. There's somebody else that had a testimony and we find in this same passage of Scripture and it was, it was Mary. and She had a, didn't have a testimony to pass or praise necessarily. The Bible tells us in verse number 19 she had a testimony to ponder. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. The Word kept there that we find in verse number 19 is translated from the Greek word, which means to keep within oneself, to to keep a thing in mind lest it be forgotten. Mary couldn't get what happened out of her mind. The the majesty of that moment when these common men came and fell at the feet of her baby. Can you imagine? God's son and made him their Savior and their Lord. Those shepherds came to uh, place their faith in Christ and then to make him their Lord. They bowed at his feet, and Mary couldn't get that out of her mind, and uh, the truth is, neither should we, and so here, you know, kind of all this story, and kind of all this information to give you, to ask you this question, to draw this, come to this conclusion, do do you have a testimony, what is your story, you know, we see the story of uh, the birth of Christ recorded in the scripture, but what's your story? The shepherds had a story to pass, didn't they? They had a story of praise. If we were to be able to speak to Mary today, there's something that she pondered in her, her heart that she couldn't get over. What about you? What about you? What is your story? What is your testimony? Uh, is, uh, are, are you one that could say that I've done as John spoke of in John chapter 1 who I've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Has your life been changed? Have, have you been made a new creature? Uh, the Bible tells us again in John 1.12, we read it just a moment ago, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Are you a child of God? You might say, well, everybody's a child of God. Well, that's what the world says, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible does say something similar, but it has more to it. And the Bible says that we're all the children of God, how? By faith in Christ Jesus. That's, that's how we have a relationship with God as his child. When we place our faith and trust in the person of Christ and we, and we believe what the Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that He's God in the flesh and that He paid the pardon for our sin, that He paid a debt that, that we owed, that He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Has that been your testimony? Do you have that testimony? Have you been changed? Uh, do, you, uh, do you have a, a, a testimony of praise? Uh, have you been able to get over it? You know, have you, Or have you pondered it in your heart, all the wonderful, majestic things that God did when He saved your poor, rotten, sin-sick soul? Oh, I tell you what, it's a wonderful thing to know that you're a child of God. As many as received Him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Born not of, not of blood, it's not that, uh, you know, I, my testimony cannot be that I was born into a Christian family. I was. I thank God that I was born into a Christian family, but, but that doesn't give me a relationship with God. Uh, John 1.13, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, for by grace are you saved through faith. Then out of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's not going to be any boasting in heaven, save the boasting of the cross. So it's not by works that I've done. It's not that I'm a real nice guy because the truth is, if you knew me, I'm not a real nice guy. I've sinned. All have sinned. Born sinners, right? Wherefore, by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men. And just in case we want to put the blame over on Adam for his sin, the Romans 5.12 finishes up with this, for all have sinned. And we've, we've all sinned, every one of us, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so, so my good works, even if they outnumbered my, my, the number of my sins, wouldn't give me a relationship with God because what John 1.13 says, not, a, not of the will of the flesh. Listen, I don't think there's a sane person in this world that wouldn't want to have a relationship with the one that created them. But it's not going to be by good works. It's not going to be by the by by the flesh. It's not going to be by born, being born into a Christian family, or you know, having a grandfather who was a Baptist preacher, or any other denomination for that matter. That's not what's going to give you a relationship with God. Nor the will of the flesh. Nor the will of man. That's what John 1.13 goes on to say. I think very well-intended parents. Uh, do things like have their children baptized. And and I think very well-intending people do things like uh, get baptized for those that have, have died already. Baptism for the dead. But my friend, it's not by the will of man that somebody has a relationship with God. It's of God. That's why God sent forth His Son into the world that He might not condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Listen, the world's condemned already. Somebody has asked the question, why would a loving God uh, send somebody uh, to an eternity, spend an eternity separated from Him in eternal destruction, in the flames of destruction? Why would a loving God send anybody to that place? Well, the fact is He doesn't send anybody there to begin with. They're already on their way. What God did do was send His only begotten Son so that they could have a way out. That's what He sent. God sent forth his son into this world that he might save them. Jesus himself said, "I'm come to seek and to save that which was lost and those shepherds understood the prophecies and they they watched those prophecies fulfilled through this little baby that they were told about from that angelic host on that majestic night in the hillsides of Bethlehem when a greatest composition uh, that was ever written about our Lord and Savior was Spoken by an angelic host. And they, they reflexively had to, had to go see it. To see if it was true. To see if it was real. And they, they found that babe wrapped in swatting clothes. Laying in a manger and fell down before that little baby. Trusting that that was the one that God said was coming. The anointed one. The Messiah. The holy one that would save his people from their sins. And they placed their faith and trust in that little baby wrapped in a manger. What a majestic scene. And they bowed before him as their Lord. What is your testimony? Do you have a story? Has there been a time in your life, I'm just saying this different ways to get to the same point, has there been a time in your life when you've trusted in Christ alone as your only hope of a relationship with God and a home in His presence for eternity? Has there been a time when you've said, uh, consciously made the choice, I'm turning from everything I thought would give me a relationship with God and I'm trusting in Christ alone? Biblical faith requires three things. It takes knowledge. you got to understand what it is that God requires of us, right? That that God, uh, that God demands of us. So there has to be a knowledge there, certainly. Uh, that's part of biblical faith. Part of biblical faith is conviction. In other words, conviction is, you know, I believe that to be true. For example, when I say, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and I, I talk about all of us being sinners, I, I got this feeling that there are many people in the congregation that said, yeah, we sure are. That's called conviction, right? You believe it to be true, and so you have a knowledge of God's word. You know what God's word says, but then you also have a conviction about it that yes, I believe that to be true, but that's not the end of biblical faith. There's a third thing that is required for biblical faith, and it's trust. And you are going to trust in something Whatever it is that you believe today, you believe it because one of three reasons, really. And you can boil it all down to this. Whatever it is that you believe about anything comes down to about three basic reasons. And we've talked about this in the past few weeks. Either because somebody told you or because somebody else has said so. Because somebody else did the research. And because they conducted the experiment and and they came to a conclusion and because they said this, you take them at their word. So your belief is based on what somebody else has told you. Here's the problem: the words of men change all the time. And so at this. Man said, and this person said after conducting this experiment, the, another person said, I don't necessarily believe that to be true, and they conducted a, another experiment, and they found this to be true. And so now this, uh, this fellow over here, he's got a group that follows him, and this person over here has a group that follows them because, you know, they're placing their faith and trust in what somebody said, whether that's organized religion or unorganized religion. What you believe today is based on either what somebody has said, Or secondly, could be based on your own personal experience. What have you experienced? What have you been able to taste, touch, see, hear, smell? What empirical evidence have I I been able to to witness myself? Here's the problem with that. Our experiences change as well, always changing. So that's not a reliable source for authoritative truth either, is it? Our personal experience. No, it's not. Or thirdly, you can believe what you believe because God has said it. And that's what trust is. Trust is saying, repentance is saying, I turn from what man says. I turn from what I think, want, and feel, and I trust what God says. I don't understand it. I can't wrap my mind around all of it. But if that book says it, then I believe it. And it doesn't matter if I believe it or not. It's still true. And so everybody in this room, whatever they believe, there's a statistic which I've read. It states that there's over 4,000 systems of belief in this world. And every one of them disagrees with each other at some point. So they can't all be true. And every one of those 4,000 systems of belief is based on what somebody else has said or what somebody has personally experienced, or one of them is based on what God has said. And when you place your faith and trust in Christ, what you're doing is you're saying, you know what? I know what the word of God says. I believe it to be true. And that's where I rest. That's where I put my trust. What is your testimony? What is your story? Perhaps you're sitting here today. You've trusted Christ as your Savior. Let me ask you this question. Is he your Lord? There's a difference. You see, those shepherds, when they came to the Lord Jesus, they find that little baby wrapped in a manger. They wanted salvation but they're also willing to take responsibility for it and and bowing down themselves to the King of kings and Lord of lords and making him the master of their lives. I don't think that's necessary for salvation, but I do think it's necessary for victorious Christian living. We sing the song, I Surrender All. What have we really surrendered? Really. What have we really surrendered? Have we really made Jesus... Our Lord, or do, are we just like uh, many people? We want the benefits of salvation. or I want to. I want to be able to say I love God. I want to be able to say uh, I know for sure when I die I'm going to heaven. But I don't want any of that responsibility stuff. I don't want my life to have revolve around Christ, you know. But if Christ is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, doesn't only makes sense that he would rule our lives has right to rule our lives I mean you came to him and received salvation doesn't it only make sense that he's got a right to rule and reign in your life or are you like many that we've described that they want the benefits of salvation but none of the responsibility I call that spiritually shacking up it's like people who you know don't exercise the covenant of marriage. They enjoy all the benefits of marriage. Amen. But none of the responsibility. And the first time, you know, a hardship comes that they don't like, they just go their separate ways. It's very convenient. I'll tell you what, spiritually shacking up is very convenient too. You can live however you want to live. And the truth is you can. You're not responsible to me or anybody else. You're responsible to Christ. And someday you'll stand before Him and give an account of everything you've done in your body. I'm talking to the believer now, whether it's right or wrong. So this morning, the question is what is your story? What is your testimony? Is Jesus your Savior? Have you trusted in Christ alone for a relationship with God? But then I'm taking it one step further and asking is He your Lord? Is He your Master? Does your life revolve around him? Does he have have the veto power? Does he have the right to rule and reign in your life? So we see this unspeakable gift is not just a a marvelous gift, not just a miraculous gift, but it's a majestic gift because of its angelic announcement, because of the adoration of the heavenly host, because of the action of the shepherds.